You mentioned if you were our age, we're used to singing that song. I'm just wondering what happened to the other 40 verses. They're there. Because I know when I was a kid and church was over and I was restless and had to go to the bathroom and mom wouldn't let me leave. She didn't believe in disrupting the service unless it was to spank me. Uh, boy, that song would never, ever, ever end. And some of you remember that. And, uh, but, you know, there are some songs that kind of get stuck in a rut. You know, there are some songs we sing at Christmas that we really ought to sing all year because they're so good and have rich doctrine and theology in it. And there are some songs that we sing in an invitation that, well, some of them we should never sing. They're just manipulative, uh, put you in the mood, you know, kind of. Uh, songs that eh, not worth much but some of them are and some of them ought to be sung like we did that one because you're not thinking about anything else except the words of that song and that word that song has some really good words because truth of the matter is the only plea that we have before the Lord is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ amen and I want to just exhort you tonight if you've never trusted the Lord if you are a church member but you're not a member of the family of God you need to get saved and the only hope you have of course is the blood of Jesus and so tonight come confess your need for Jesus Christ and for a Savior and confess him as Lord if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, the scripture says. And so that's our call. And like Miss Claire, and by the way, didn't she do a good job? And uh, it's amazing to, uh, she didn't tell you the half of everything that she could have. And uh, what an amazing, amazing person and how helpful and what a blessing she has been to all of us and to our church. And I appreciate her doing that because I know that wasn't, easy for her but I sure do appreciate it and you heard her story where she had walked an aisle and she did everything that they told her to do and then was baptized but she had never repented of her sins and trusted in Christ and as you know that's my story and it's the story of a lot of people in the church because we don't ever want to just soft pedal and water down the gospel I mean, I think it ought to be simple, but at the same time, we don't want to water it down and just make it a, you know, come down front, you'll be saved. Get baptized, you'll be saved. Change your life, you'll be saved. Try harder and you'll be saved. Ask Jesus into your heart and you'll be saved. There's just so much more to it than that. And I think probably, uh, as I heard, if I heard correctly in her story, it's the same thing as mine. I didn't really understand the whole thing about sin. And so when you're talking to your children and they say, I want to be saved, I probably said something like that when I was, you know, four years old. Um, that's the kind of thing that you have to be careful. Jesus said, uh, allow the little children to come to me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of heaven. And we certainly believe that. But at the same time, uh, don't just automatically assume that if they say, I want to be saved, that they really are ready for all of that. 
talk to them, answer their questions, and answer them as thoroughly as you can in a way that they can understand it, and then change the subject. You say, why do you say that? What if they don't get saved? Well, you and I know enough about the doctrine of grace and the calling of the Holy Spirit to know this. When they are ready for it, you're not going to be able to change the subject. You're not going to be able to uh, distract them with something else. And so uh, when that time comes, you'll, you'll know it. And you say, well, what about the kids who come as little children or even as teenagers or after a camp or something, and then they don't get saved till later? And my answer is, so what? That's all a part of the grace of God and the sovereignty of God and him planting seeds and watering seeds and drawing seeds. That's not a mistake on the part of God or anybody else. It's their misunderstanding of everything. But then again, can anybody understand the gospel until the Holy Spirit does that work in their heart? And so uh, we trust the Lord that it will happen. And uh, I remember back in the uh, 80s hearing uh, Ronald Reagan say that America is just one generation away from losing its liberty. It's not verbatim, but it's pretty close. And then I heard somebody else say, Christianity is just one generation away from extinction. Okay, now, let me just put it in perspective. I agree with President Reagan. It's amazing how much we can forget in a generation. But I don't agree with the person who said Christianity will be extinct in a generation because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when the Lord returns, there will be a church that will be here, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is doing that work and he is doing it according to his plan, his will, and his power and his sovereignty. But as I was thinking about that and thinking about how easy it is for us to go through the motions, raise our children in a certain way, in a certain manner, and uh, then we wonder sometimes about the way that they turn out. And uh, this is something that I'm going to say this to you, that you have no guarantee that if you raise your children right, that they're just going to automatically do right and be saved and, and that type of thing because some of them don't. And before you feel a whole lot of guilt over that, let's just say this. For all of us who are parents, have been parents, who have raised children, there's not a one of us that did it right. There's not a one of us that were perfect in all of that. And it's only by the grace of God that any of our children trusted the Lord. Am I right about that? Only by the grace of God. Then I also want you to think about something else. I've heard all my life people say, well, for example, with the idea of the, uh, uh, the male headship of the family and the woman's submission. Well, if the man would just be the man he's supposed to be, his wife would have no trouble submitting to him. Okay, I've got a question for you. Then why does the church, the bride of Christ have so much trouble submitting to Christ. He's the perfect bridegroom. And we're not. And yet 
we kind of put these artificial standards out there. And so we say that if things are not right in a marriage, well, it's automatically the man's fault. Now, I will say my experience has been most of the time that's true, but not all the time. And it's not a guarantee that if he's everything he ought to be, then his wife will be everything that she ought to be. And in the same way, the extended uh, version of that is this. God is a perfect father, the perfect parent. And if it is true that perfect parents raise perfect children, godly parents raise godly children, then why is it that so many of God's children rebel, stray, are prodigals and have to be disciplined before they come back to him. There's something wrong in our thinking about all of that. And so Sammy and I raised our children with the expectation that they were sinners, that they would rebel. And we never tried to play the little game of, oh, I'm, I'm, I cringe when I hear parents say this. Oh, I know my child and they would never lie to me. Well, they will if they were good at it like I was. Okay? I hope when we get to heaven we don't have to confess everything because there are still some things my mom and dad don't know. Right? I was the stealth. I flew under the radar on those kind of things. And so if my mom or my dad, I don't think they did, but if they ever said that about me, they would have been, well, dead wrong. And the same thing is true with us. We don't really know our children the way we think we know our children. And we don't know their hearts the way we would like to know their hearts. Now, we can have good ideas, and we know them well enough, hopefully, that we have some understanding of them and, uh, you know, our, our instinct and our intuition and our relationship with them is open enough so that we can talk about some of those things. I used to have... Um, season tickets to uh, football games at uh, Stillwater. And one of the reasons I did that is, yes, I liked football, and yes, I liked that team, and that's where I went to school, so I enjoyed that. I won't deny that. But the other thing is my kids would kind of argue and fight over who was going to get to ride with me and which game they were going to do. And, you know, uh, Taylor always seemed to get the upper hand on some of those things. And, uh, you know, a little bitter. Jenny really uh, didn't care about football or anything at all. And uh, so I remember one time we were sitting there at a game. I think we were playing Texas. And uh, the people that had were sitting on the other end of the, of the bench had taken up too much room. And uh, so, you know, here I had two tickets and only, there's only one number barely showing on the bench. And so some people were nice to her and let her sit by them and all of that. And then we were talking a little bit and I explained a little bit about the games, the number of downs, the number of yards to do that. And I remember her saying that uh, she goes, oh, the game makes a whole lot more sense and is more fun if you know a little bit about it. I thought, you know, that's true about just about anything in life. I've even thought that that is true even about church and the things of God. And that's why as parents and grandparents, we ought to be standing guard, praying for our children, praying for our grandchildren, and then taking every opportunity that we can to explain to them about how it works. I think most of us who know the Lord, truly know the Lord, there came a certain time when everything just sort of, 
uh, here's a good theological word, it clicked. Isn't that right? And all of a sudden it made sense. If you're like me, even after salvation, I'd be studying some things and reading some books and reading things in the Bible. And then it was like, oh, oh, so that's why God did what he did in the way that he did it. And it began to make sense. When I was studying Greek, I was smart enough that the alphabet, well, that was easy. And learning to recognize the letters and read the words, that, that was easy. That didn't take anything at all. Well, then we started getting into the grammar of the whole thing. Well, I don't even do well at English grammar, much less, well, it was all Greek to me. And I remember working, and I mean, I was working, and I would do things like uh, I would uh, take a cassette recorder, and I would record the things I needed to know for the next class. And uh, while Sammy and I would be on our way down, down Dallas, where I went to school and where she worked, I'd play that tape and I would go over it and over it and over it and over it and over it. And I had flashcards. I had all of these kind of things and it just wasn't happening. And I remember going to see uh, Dr. John Burns, my professor, who, by the way, I found out not terribly long ago, he was one of the uh, men that they consulted when they translated the New International Version of the Bible. And that's how good he was and how uh, proficient he was in Greek. And I went to see Dr. Burns. He was a funny man and uh, had a real dry sense of humor. And uh, we were talking about some of this. And I said, I think I need to drop the class. It was about that time Taylor was born. We had complications with all of that and a lot of financial burden and health problems and uh, those type of things. And I, I, I just was drowning in a sea of intellectual uncertainty. And uh, I just went to him and said, I, I can't do this. I just can't do this. And he goes, well, you don't look that dumb to me. He goes, I've seen dumb students. You don't look like a dumb student. And I said, yeah, that's not helping. And um, he started uh, telling me, no, I'm not going to let you drop out of the class. Well, I didn't want to hear that. And, and I kind of got a little aggravated because I'm paying for this class. And uh, I can drop out if I want to, but he wouldn't sign off on it. And he said, I'll make you this promise. If you'll keep working as hard as you've been working, I promise you will not flunk the class. I thought, well, what does that mean, a D? You know, something like that. And he goes, I've seen more than one student come and be exposed to all of this and just be underwater all the way through. And then all of it comes together uh, at the end of the class. Oh, great. So I kept on and I tried to be as diligent as I could. And uh, you know the amazing thing? He was right. That uh, when I took the final that semester, the thing that kept me from getting an F or a D was not only his word and his graciousness, but also on the final I scored 113 points because I did the extra credit work. And it kind of came together, and all of a sudden, it made sense. Now, I wouldn't claim to be fluent in it or anything like that, but I can read it, and I can understand it. I know where to look for it, and it's all because of what happened in that class with constant exposure over and over and over and over and over and over and just kind of being immersed in it. Well, it makes sense because that's how I learned to speak English. 
Nobody sat down when I was two and said, okay, Greg, here is a noun, and this is a verb, and, you know, we didn't do anything like that at all, just the immersion in it, and then it all kind of started coming together, and uh, we started speaking the language. That's how we learned it. Well, that's what happened when I was in that Greek class. What does this have to do with anything we've been talking about tonight? I think sometimes we think that, well, when I talk about Jesus and I tell some of the things of my story, like Miss Clara did tonight, well, everybody knows that. And have you ever heard of anybody, and she didn't do this, and I was glad, but I've heard people share their testimony, and they'll get to a point where they'll tell you, I was born here, this is where I was raised, this is how we lived, this is what I did, and then I went to church, and well, you know the rest. Well, maybe we don't know the rest. Or maybe we need to be immersed in it again. And when you think about that song we sang tonight, Just As I Am, I needed to hear that again. Why? It stirred up memories. That's true. Stirred up memories. But it also reminded me of things that the Bible says. In the book of Romans, for example. I learned when I was a little kid the Romans road. Remember that? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all of those wonderful verses that uh, we learned and uh, were hidden in our heart and implanted in us, that engrafted word that James talks about that later on bore fruit. And it was constant exposure, constant exposure, hearing that over and over again, not only before salvation, but even after salvation, when all of a sudden some of that stuff that I started reading when I was going through Romans, and ladies, as you go through Romans, you'll hit some of this, some of that is tough, tough to understand. Some of it in just a cursory reading of it, it, it just like, what in the world? Why is he saying this over and over and over and, you know, th that type of thing? Let me, let me tell you what happens as you go through that, as you get immersed in it. All of a sudden, like it did for me in my Greek class, something will click. And there'll be something that you get a hold of in there and you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, that makes sense now. And when that starts making sense, then the other dominoes start falling down and other things start coming together. And that's also true in the Old Testament. I used to read through the Old Testament and I would get so confused when I'd be like in a book like Second Kings. Okay, what's Israel and what's Judah? And why do they seem to be, if they're two different things, why are they kind of mixed up every once in a while? Why would God say, for example, in 2 Kings, uh, I think it's 22, he talks about himself being the God of Israel, and yet he's dealing with and judging Judah. What is going on? Well, I didn't know the history. And I didn't know that the kingdom had been divided and the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah, but before they were divided, they were all one nation called Israel. So God saw them as one nation, even though they were divided, and so you kind of have to pay attention to the names that are used and look at why they're used. Then all of a sudden, it starts clicking. It starts coming together, and you start understanding more things. But you know what I find that most people do? 
They read something in the Bible and they go, well, I don't understand that and I don't get all these names and I don't know what's happening and that's really the last time they pay any attention to it. And they don't go slow. They don't go carefully. They don't listen to things. In fact, I know that uh, with our son Taylor, he had trouble whenever he would learn something in English. He didn't understand that what he learned in English needed to be applied when he wrote the history paper. You still have to use good grammar and punctuation or you get points counted off. It's not just that you learn English for English class and history for history class. They're supposed to kind of come together so that your English helps you write a better paper for history, right? And I'm afraid that as Christians, we're a lot like that. You come and you listen to a sermon and you say, oh, Okay, amen, good sermon. And then you close your Bible and you close your mind to all of that. And you never think about how that Sunday school lesson or that sermon or that ladies' Bible study or men's Bible study, that's supposed to carry through with how you act when you are at Walmart checking out. That's supposed to carry through when you get bad news from you know, for whatever reason, health-wise or economically or whatever, that's supposed to all carry through and it's supposed to color everything that you are. But we're so quick to just close the book and say, I can't do this. We're so quick to look at things and go, well, it doesn't make any sense to me and then just walk away from it. When it's constant exposure that changes our mind and then that one thing we grasp starts putting everything else into perspective. Well, what does that have to do with anything else? That's the same thing that happens when we go out into the world and we share the gospel with people. They don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to them. And it's not enough just to simply say, well, you know, when the Holy Spirit's ready, they'll get it, which is true. But the Holy Spirit uses a process in here. And Paul said that we are to plant seed is that just a one-time thing? Not really. The farmer plants over and over and over and over and over each season, and sometimes multiple things. When I was in Tuttle, they would plant wheat in the uh, fall of the year. It was winter wheat. They would harvest it in June, and then they would plant something else, sometimes cotton or something like that, to make use of the field during the growing season. So the planting was a year after year after year, and sometimes different things in different seasons as they went on. What about watering? Paul said some plant and some water. Do you just water one time? Do you just go in there over a newly planted seed? If you have a garden or something and you're trying to grow, you plant some seeds or set out flowers or something, take your watering can, pour it on there and say, okay, that's good, we'll see you in October. It doesn't happen. It's over and over and over. Weeding has to be done. Cultivating has to be done. Fertilizing has to be done. And yes, you've got to rewater that thing over and over and over and over. And you've got to do it with some regularity and you've got to do it with some diligence. Why would Paul use an agricultural illustration like that? Because it's not until you plant, it's not until you water that you reap. And there's a process that goes on. And I think that what he was saying to us is, don't quit, don't give up. 
Whether it's you personally, you need the input of the gospel, the input of the word of God. You need to begin to synthesize everything that you've been learning, what you learned when you were a child, what you learned as a teenager, what you've learned as an adult, what you hear in Awanas, what you hear in Sunday school, what you hear in a sermon, what you hear in all of those things, and start putting the pieces together like a jigsaw puzzle so that things start to click and uh, one of the things we want to do is we want to finish well. You see, in my Greek class, I started off with a bang, then I floundered, but I was able to finish well, much better than I expected. Isn't that kind of the way we are in the Christian life? We uh, start off thinking that we're really hot shots and we're really good. Then we find out how sinful we really are and we hear the gospel and understand it. We repent and trust the Lord Jesus as our Savior. And then what happens? Then we're in the battle. Then the fight is on and we are struggling and we are pressing on and we're attacked by the enemy and uh, we go on. But when it all comes to the end, we want to finish well. We want to do well on the final exam, so to speak. And uh, we want to learn and we want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And that's why Peter says, as newborn babes, as newborn babes desire the milk of the word. Well, how does a baby desire milk? They don't just take it one and done, do they, for the day? It's over and over and over. They've got to learn. They've got to grow and, uh, you know, it's funny. They go from being a newborn who just kind of does what takes naturally, uh, does what comes naturally, and then there's some teaching and learning and all of that. And then you get to the point to where they uh, become aware that when you, uh, if you're using baby formula and maybe you shake up a bottle or something like that, they go nuts because they know what that is and they want it so badly. And uh, since we're talking about Jenny, even when she got on baby food, she used to cry in between bites because she was ready to eat. Why? She craved it. She craved it. And that's the way the scripture tells us, Peter tells us, that we are to be about the word of God. But how many people do you know that they're interested in everything but the word of God? They'll put up with it on a Sunday morning, but that's really all they want. I, I really seriously wonder if those people are born again. But I also know even for those of us who have a spiritual appetite, can we always use the word crave? Do we crave the word of God like a baby craves milk? And Peter is certainly not saying don't ever get past the milk of the word. Other passages of scripture say we need to move on to the meat and maturity, but we should never lose the craving that we have never use the craving because we need to be immersed in the word of God Spurgeon even said he wanted to be so full of the word of God that his blood would be classified as not a or B or anything like that but Bibline full of the word of God and that's kind of the way it is for all of us. And that's the way it is when we are witnessing to people, when we are sharing with our children, when we're witnessing to a neighbor. It is probably never, ever going to be a one and done type thing. It's probably going to be time after time after time answering questions, putting up with frustrations and all of that because we've got to plant and we've got to water over and over and over and over. And then we reap the harvest in due season. 
And so when you think about that, just remember with your children, with your grandchildren, it's not just a matter of, oh, they walked the aisle, they prayed the prayer, ah, done, done my job as a parent in terms of their religious training and all of that. Now we can move on to teach them how to, uh, you know, how to pitch, how to throw a curveball or how to catch a football or something like that. No, constantly, constantly bringing up the things of God and saturating them in it and having them in the uh, church and in those activities because there's just something about that that is absolutely amazing. And so my encouragement to you tonight is don't give up and don't quit. You say, well, I'm not so sure, you know, with my kids where they're going to be. Are they alive? Yeah. Long as they take breath, don't give up because you don't know what the end result is going to be. And you keep going back to Jesus just as you are without one plea except thy blood was shed for me. That's an everyday, sometimes every hour situation. Every time you fail, go back to the Lord. I don't have any plea except your blood. I failed again, Lord, and I'm so sick of this. And I'm so discouraged. But I'm so thankful that it's not based upon my performance, but it's based upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he's the one that did it for me, and he did it all for me, and it is enough. And you go back and you preach the gospel to yourself, and then you make sure that those around you, those you live with and those you love, hear the gospel, and you do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over as long as it takes. Why? Because you desire a harvest and you desire that harvest to be for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't give up. Hang in there and think about how easy it is to just kind of assume Going back to where I first started, we assume our children know American history. We assume our children are going to be patriotic. We assume our children are going to love the Constitution and they're going to understand things. I think we're living in a time now where we go, yeah, I better not assume that. It doesn't take much to undo all of that. Can I get an amen on that? We live in perilous times because of that. But don't just leave it there. Think about this. How many times have your children heard about your testimony? How many times have they heard the scriptures about salvation? Oh, they know all that. You know, there are so many things my parents told me when I was 15. And you know the tragedy of that? They told me I didn't care. I didn't care. They were telling me about, you know, my great-great-grandfather. I don't care. I would rather be running around with my friends. Am I the only one like that? There were things that I learned in school that, man, I wish I could talk to somebody about that now. What was that? Don't remember. I wasn't really interested. But I would be right now. I would be right now. And the same thing is true for your kids. Maybe that one time you told them, maybe they were just accommodating you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, that's really good. Can I go play now? You got to tell them again. And you got to tell them again. And you got to keep praying. And you got to keep modeling it. And you got to keep trusting God in all of that. For the Bible says that uh, we shall doubtless reap if we faint not. 
And I think one of the tragedies of our generation is we've had a lot of fainting Christians. We're one and done. It didn't work. We're out. I tried that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've counseled people having marital problems. Tell them what you're supposed to do. For example, as a husband, I did that. It didn't work. Well, it rarely does just one time. you got to do it over and over and over and over. And it's got to be consistency. And the power of the Christian witness is the life of consistency. So, I close by quoting Winston Churchill during World War II. When he gave a speech and he stood up in front of young people and he said, never give up. Never give up. Never, 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 never give up. And then he sat down. That's a good word for us. Never give up. Never. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we think about the power of a story, the power of a testimony, the power of being immersed into something so important, much more important than a class, much more important than a sport, much more important than music, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may it be that our homes and our family, our children, our grandchildren are just immersed in the gospel. Every time we get a chance, we bring up the gospel. We bring up the magnificence of Christ. We bring up the glory of God. We bring up how he paid for our sins fully with his death on the cross. We bring up the fact of our inadequacy and our inability to get to him, but how, oh, he came to us and how... Wonderful it is to know him as our Savior and Lord. To tell our children Bible stories. To reinforce what they have learned in the church. So that the church is not their primary diet. But every day with mom and dad is. How wonderful that would be. And so Father do a great and wonderful work. And encourage us to never ever ever give up. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Okay, I'd like to do something before we leave. We're just about done here. I know, Isaac, you need to leave. But uh, would you all stand and come gather around Jenny and Isaac? As a procedure that he's having done in the morning, I never can remember the name of it, but um, it's, if you've had an angiogram and you've had the one through your artery and your leg, you'll understand this, except with her, they're not looking for blockage. She's been having, her heart has been racing. Last week it got up to 190 resting. And they can't figure out what's going on. And so what they are going to do is they're going to go through that artery to the heart. And they're going to manipulate the heart. And it's going to take several hours to try to recreate all of that to figure out what is going on so they can treat it. It's going to be a long day. And so uh, we wanted you to have the opportunity to pray for them. So would you uh, pray for them now and pray for their doctors and pray for uh, knowledge and wisdom and answers tomorrow and uh, for, the, for her well-being as she goes through all of this. Okay? Let, go ahead and pray aloud so they can hear you pray.
Well, Father, as we conclude this service tonight, we thank you for the words of wisdom, of power, of grace, of encouragement. And we want to think about that even as uh, we pray for Jenny and for Isaac tonight and, of course, for the girls. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless in the midst of all of this our whole family on both sides because we all need it as well. And help us, Lord, to have our confidence and our faith and to find our peace and our rest in you. And I pray, Lord, that especially for Jenny as she goes through this. I know it's kind of scary and I know it's intimidating and daunting. But I pray, Lord, that you would give her a calmness like she has never experienced before. And I pray that she would feel that she is in your hands and do the same for Isaac as he's concerned about his mate. And I pray, Father, that uh, that phrase, peace that passes understanding, would truly and indeed guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so I pray for success in the test. I pray for wisdom for the doctors and ability above and beyond their own skill. Would you help them? And would you heal Jenny so that she can serve you in good health for decades and decades to come with effectiveness and with the joy of the Lord? So bless them and thank you for all of this. We're so glad we live in an age where things like this can be evaluated and, and fixed and all of that. And I pray that you would do this. Heal her and do it for the glory of God. And do it for the sake of our ministry in the church and our ministry that we were talking about tonight to bring the gospel to our children. Oh, Father, please, we pray you would do that. And we want to remember to pray for uh, Gail Hudler and we want to pray that you would heal her and uh, we thank you for her and we're so appreciative that you sent her and her family to be with us at Graceway what a blessing they are and we pray for healing with them too we remember to pray for Nancy Hackett as she battles cancer and we pray Lord for a miracle to be worked there and we could go on and on help us Lord and we are like the person who said we believe Help our unbelief. And we pray you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen.